0: Hi, church. Glad that you're here. Let me welcome all of our campuses, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that live stream us, and however you're a part of the Greater JFC family, we are glad that you are. Uh, I've got two two quick things I want our uh, campuses to be aware of. Um, If you are married, attend this church, and have ever prayed as, uh, as the man for your wife, God bless my wife, and I hope that you do pray that prayer. Has it ever dawned on you that maybe when you pray that prayer, the source of blessing her might come from you? <laughs> so it sort of like shifts the responsibility when we say, hey, God bless my wife, and then we just sort of leave it there like we don't have anything else to do with it at that point. You ever think that maybe when you pray that, God's like, okay, I'm gonna bless her and I'm gonna use you to do, you know the number one source of blessing for your wife is probably you. Yes. You hear all the women say yes, not one man. I heard not one masculine voice. Yes. <laughs> The Lakewood people, maybe. The Castle Rock people, I know. And the Lone Tree people, I'm going to give you one more chance right now. Highland <laughs> Ranch, jump in on this. The number one source of blessing your wife may come from you, sir. Amen. Amen. Okay. Next, uh, next weekend is Easter. The weekend after that is going to be the ladies' advance. It's difficult for a woman to feel sometimes like, I can leave everything behind, our kids and the responsibility and my husband and all of the needs of my family and take this personal time for myself. Sometimes there's just the, uh, it's impractical or it's expensive or they feel guilty for doing it. Let me tell you what would help. Sir, if you would just tell her, um, I can handle it, even though you can't, for 24 hours. (laughs) I'll take this on and I will do this. Be a blessing to your wife. Encourage her to go. The truth of the matter is the number one source of blessing for your wife. It will not be just, hey, God bless my wife. God wants to use you to bless your wife. Encourage her to go. Watch what happens. You will get a different wife back yes. and not one that ended up at the wrong house. Trust me, you will get a different <laughs> wife back. It'll be, it'll be awesome for you. Uh, also, last, uh, last week I had taught and um, normally uh, whenever one of our other teaching team uh, ministers, I always like to take the opportunity to say thank you to them. Uh, Pastor Marcus had taught on the anointing two weeks ago and did a tremendous job in teaching that message. And to uh, to my error, I forgot to say something. He didn't mention it, never would. But when I realized this week that I hadn't said thank you, I had apologized to him and I wanted to say uh, publicly, I thought Marcus did a fantastic job in teaching that message. And I wanted to recognize that. Absolutely. Totally totally worth knowing. And, And last but not least, at all of our campuses, make sure I know you heard it, but grab your tickets for Easter. The services are next weekend. We have 14 services over the weekend. For sure, you want to grab tickets. You can have as many as you want, but we'd ask that you take one for each person in your family, so that you can help us to plan on and to minister to those that are going to be uh, at uh, at that particular service. All right, grab your notes. Let's jump into it. We're actually coming to the end. Uh, one more message in our uh, last six messages. So this one is called the pressing. Where are we in space and time as we teach this? Well, in just a moment, I will read the context for this. Um, Uh, this message. When I do, this is falling on the night of the betrayal. This happens on the night that Jesus goes from the Last Supper uh, across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives, he begins to pray. This is where we have Gethsemane uh, and the pressing. I'll explain that in just a moment. Uh, At the end of that time, then you have Judas and uh, the, the, the betrayer's uh, from um, the, um, the high priest come with him to arrest Christ, and then this begins uh, the mock trial through the crucifixion and then into the resurrection. So in space and time, we're right at that point of, uh, of the end of his life here on earth. So we called it the pressing, and if, uh, if you look at your notes, what I did right here, uh, your Bible probably, not all Bibles, but most Bibles uh, at the heading of an important event, we'll have in big black lettering lettering what this uh, represents or what this means right here. So uh, I gave you three different places that you can see this. These are the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now The reason they call them the synoptics, they all fit in place and time from either being an eyewitness or a person who is writing about the eyewitness. Does that make sense? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Each of them basically are the same thing, each writing it from their point of view. So when you read them, if you're like, well, you know, I see the details here are not exact. The explanation for that simply is that you have one who was an eyewitness, and the other two are writing it, hearing about it. So if, if we were to have three people... Who One who saw an event and then told the other two about it, and then all three were asked to write down what they heard. How many of you recognize they're going to write it down? They'll get, they'll get the, the, the part right. They'll get the story right, but they each have a thought or a point of view that they bring to the table when they write it. This explains for a person saying, well, I see it from this way. If someone saw it from that side of the room, someone saw it from this side of the room, of course, they're going to see it from two different angles. While they're writing about the same story, they're each going to see details that the other one doesn't have. That's the difference here. So you'll find this story in Matthew uh, 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Now, we're using Matthew's uh, version of the story. So uh, if, if uh, you want to follow along while I read it, it says, then Jesus, went, uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. If you're taking notes, if you've got a pen, pencil, highlighter, uh, catch the word Gethsemane right there. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. And Jesus said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. So Peter, James, and John Along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Now look at the prayer, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, and then this sentence is is maybe the most powerful part of the prayer. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I don't know how many of us ever pray those prayers. God, if it's possible, take this away from me, and we stop right there. And then Christ takes it to the ultimate place that it should be left with. God, if it's possible, take this from me, but God, not my will, your will. I'm willing to walk in what you want done in my life. So my father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed again. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Look at this sentence. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. When I was studying and reading that, this really doesn't uh, tie into the message directly, but I felt like the Lord showed me something here that was interesting, and, and maybe you can identify with it. That last part right there says that when Christ came back and found them sleeping in, look at this, because their eyes were heavy, he left them and went away once more. And I felt like what the Lord had said to me is that that is pretty much how the Holy Spirit will operate in our lives, is that he will come time and time again to remind us. But if it is our will to do our own thing, the Holy Spirit will not force us. He will leave us. Not alone, not gone forever, but for an opportune time to come back. But in other words, God will let us pick our own way when it comes to doing His will. You know that, don't you? He never forces us. He asks us, and then we have the opportunity to cooperate with Him. All right, moving into the story uh, for this weekend, uh, Gethsemane. The very word Gethsemane from the Hebrew means oil press. And as I've taught uh, all through this series and and countless times when it comes to Christ, everything he does is on purpose. Jesus never does anything by accident. He's never rogue. It's never accidental. Everything is calculated. It's planned. And many times uh, there's dual meaning. So in other words, uh, Jesus, when he's teaching at a particular place, there's dual meaning in that what he's teaching, he's saying one thing, and then the place he's standing also represents something. I taught that with the fig tree and, and through many things that Christ did with his life. Here we have one of those dual meanings where we have Jesus praying the prayer, God, not my will, but your will be done. The very place he's praying from, though, is significant in that it's called Gethsemane, and it means oil press. And remember what happens to Christ. When he gets to this place, he begins to feel sorrowful, burdened, underneath the weight of sin that's being put on him. You remember, just a few hours later, when he's on the cross, he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've taught our people, Jesus went through that so that you and I never have to go through that. You never have to ever feel separated from God. Jesus did it for us so that you and I never have to feel those things. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin with his life so that you and I never have to pay the penalty for our sin with our lives. Jesus is the model that went before us to keep us from having to go through those things. That's why God takes what Christ did and applies it to our lives when we accept it as a gift. So Jesus is in the place of being crushed. Everything he did was completely intentional, oftentimes with with two and three meanings behind it. That if you look at the clues, it's all pointing to the same thing. It's really interesting if you ever get into it and study it. I'll give you another one that just this week I was thinking about it. This goes back to the beginning of his life when he was born. The Bible prophetically spoke that the Savior would come through Bethlehem. When we say it, we don't speak Hebrew, so all we say are the words Bethlehem. We don't hear the Hebrew meaning, but Bethlehem means house of bread. When Jesus goes to proclaim himself uh, in one of his messages to the world, he goes, I am the bread of life. The very place that he's born speaks again. It, it speaks on two levels. He's born there because prophetically the Savior had to come from Bethlehem, and it means the house of bread. He come, he's the bread of life. Everything he did has so many meanings to it. It's, it's just really cool if you ever study it. Well, this one is that idea. He's at Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. On the Mount of Olives, you'll find Gethsemane today. We take our people there when we, when we go. Th- this coming fall, we'll be back there again. And one of the things we do, it's a, it's a very small area. The olive trees in that area are actually 2,000-year-old olive trees, they're, they're, they're not olive trees like you would see in California or, or someplace in the, uh, Arizona where they grow. These, these trees are gnarly. They're, mass, they're as wide as redwood trees. Get a pic. I mean, they're crazy wide. And they're, they're really awesome looking. It's the place where we know that he went and he prayed. We don't know which tree he was at, but we know it was in this area, and they found an actual uh, oil press there. And the very idea of an oil press, I taught this uh, at at one point, and I teach it when we're over there, that Jesus is modeling for us the idea of being crushed. He was not just pressed, he was being crushed. And so one time I I talked about how how oil is made in the Middle East. Even today, this is the way oil is made. You've got your, when you go to shop, if you're a cook, what's the best kind of olive oil you can buy? Extra Extra virgin. Extra virgin comes from the ripest olives. It doesn't take hardly anything to get that oil from the olive. In fact, just the harvesting of the olive, the weight of the olive upon the other olives, produces that, that real uh, fine extra virgin olive oil. And then the next level is the virgin olive oil. That, that's a little, a little harder pressing. And then you, you move through the ranks down to the crushing of the olive. And with the crushing of the olive, you get a substance called the pumice, the pumice, uh, maybe you've, you've heard of it. It's used to, to it's a deep cleanser, a pumice. It, it'll clean your hands. Even today, this is in modern times, they use the pumice from olives for two things that's, uh, that's really cool. It produces a soap that is made from and used today in very fine upscale cosmetics because it covers over blemishes and it helps to heal skin. And I want you to just get the picture. When we apply the work of Christ to our life, what does it do? It covers over blemishes and it heals our soul. Yes. And that just, It's just interesting if you look at it. Uh, for so many people, they can look at it and never see it. And I, I wonder, you know, the whole saying, you're too close to the forest to see the trees. God, if you just step back and take it forward, there's so much meaning in it. There's so much to see in it. All right, here's where I I would go this weekend. The first thing to understand about the pressing, Jesus wasn't just mildly pressed. The Bible said he was crushed for us. It wasn't the extra virgin light pressing that Christ went through. This is the pressing that separated the soul from the body. This is the pressing where the ultimate sacrifice is being made by the individual. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. The Bible says, predicting about Christ and the work of Christ on the earth. By the way, this is almost a thousand years before Jesus physically exists in the flesh. Here's the prophecy He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities or our sin the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him and this last part by his wounds we are what Heal. i love this here we have prophetically isaiah who never laid eyes on jesus he's never he has no idea other than the utterance of the Holy Spirit working in him when he's writing down this prophecy a thousand years before Jesus is born. And yet he describes the very work that Christ will do. And in this garden, he is not being lightly afflicted. Jesus was sinless. He never did anything wrong. The only one amongst all of us who never sinned. He never blew it. He never made a mistake. He never told a lie. He never lost his temper and sinned. He never committed adultery, he never lusted, he never stole. He he never had a bad thought towards a person. He was perfect and sinless. And he goes into this situation in this wonderful relationship with God and God's plan is to do this because you and I have done all of those things and more. Okay, maybe this side has it. You and I have done all of those things and more. We've lied. We've thought evil thoughts. We've lost our temper. It gets less and less as I go through this (laughs) right here. (laughs) See, even if you sit pridefully tonight and go, well, I'm not that bad of a person, if the standard of God is perfection, how many times do you have to blow it to not be perfect? Everybody in the room blown it? Today? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It's our nature. Here's the one, here's God's plan. Because you and I couldn't help ourselves. To pay for our sin would cost us our lives. Therefore, there's nothing left if we pay for our sins. God came up with a plan, get this. He took the responsibility for our sin upon himself. We couldn't help ourselves. So he came up with the plan. He sent his son who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus enters into this garden not knowing what sin is other than an understanding of it from the point of view of seeing it in humanity. And God puts our sin upon him and that's why the Bible says he began to be troubled and sorrowful as he realized this is going to cost me my life And the more that he went through that, the Bible said the pressure got so great that he sweat as though it were great drops of blood. And it is a medical possibility under the worst duress for the capillaries to burst in a person's head and for it to look like you were sweating blood, but only under the worst circumstances. And as Christ begins to go through this and the weight of our sin is put upon him as he is abused, misused, mistreated, as he is judged incorrectly, as he is judged guilty, and he is innocent for our stuff. He willingly took it on. He was beaten, the Bible says. He was not just abused. He was crushed. And in this garden, we have the very word olive press, the pressing. He is being crushed for us. I wrote in my notes, they're not in yours, and I want you to somehow, whether you write it down or try to get this inside of you, listen to me. It is not enough for you to simply know about Jesus. You must personally identify with and connect yourself to who he is and what he did if you're ever going to derive benefit from the act of his sacrifice. Did you hear what I just said? It is not enough for you to simply know about Jesus and what he did. The world is full of people who can tell you who we believe Jesus to be. The world is full of people who can tell you theologically what we agree on that Christ did. But they know it here. They don't know it here. And how many years have I taught from this pulpit that the distance from here to here is way more than 18 inches? Jesus said it this way in talking about the religious leaders of his day. These people draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what I'm saying. It is not enough for you to sit here and theologically agree with me that Jesus was abused. That Jesus lived or that this happened unfairly to him. You must associate yourself with the fact that he did it for you to derive any benefit from it. When we're in Israel... One of my favorite places in the 10 or 12 days that we're there is to take people to this garden. And I found there's there's a public place that all the tourists go to. And then right across the street is a private little garden, literally across the street, part of the same garden, but now there is a street that divides it that the Catholic church owns. And what I found is there's a priest there who can be bribed. true statement he lets catholics in there for free he lets protestants in for money and i find this guy my guide ruben introduced him to me and i find this guy and i have to pay him off to do it but he opens the gate and he lets us in because we get the whole thing to ourselves it's private it's filled with all of these olive trees and somewhere on this site is where christ went through what he went through. And then here's what I tell our people. I tell this story right here and then I tell them, I want you to break up right now. If you're married, take your spouse, but otherwise go by yourself, find a place. And I want you to personally think and identify with what Jesus did. He thought about you as he did what he did. And you must identify yourself with that in order to derive any benefit because otherwise here's what you will have. You will have a a, a Gnosticism, a knowledge about the work of Christ, but it will not change your heart. And the worst thing about religion is people who know him up here, but it doesn't change it down here. You can be full of understanding here and cold as ice right here. And unless religion changes your heart, listen to me, it's not worth a flip. Some of the meanest people I know can give you a theological definition. Some of the meanest people that ever lived in the world use theological definitions to justify their meanness. Do you agree? Unless you personally identify with it, unless you touch it yourself, unless you can smell it, feel it, taste it, understand what it is, you don't derive the benefit from it. It's the same thing as Jesus teaching, these people draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are very far from me. It's not enough to have it up here. You gotta get it right here. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And Let me speak to healing here just for a moment. Some people speak with the idea that that only refers to a spiritual healing. I would beg to differ. I believe totally that he healed us spiritually, but I would beg to differ that we've got some word problems here. And here's why. I don't think we were sick spiritually. I think we were dead spiritually. So I believe that when it says, by his stripes we are healed, I think it does refer to a spiritual vitality that he brings back to people. But I think he also took upon him in a physical way our infirmities so that by his stripes we can be healed physically in this life too. I think the work of Christ is all-encompassing, not just for then and there, but for here and now. Do you agree with that? I think it's for all of life. If I were to interject a commercial in the middle of my message, it would be this, go to Israel with me. (laughs) I can sit here and tell you over and over and over again these stories. But the reason I take the time to go to Israel, folks, been there, Chris, how many times? 12 times. People ask me every time we go, aren't you sick of seeing this? Here's what I'm never sick of seeing. My people get it from here to here. Yeah. Yeah. When they experience it, when they identify it in their own lives, yep. wow, It's the reason we go. Yeah. So Jesus was crushed for us, wounded for us, pierced for us. The Bible says it pleased the Father, pleased him to chastise the Son. Not that God got off on Jesus being hurt, It pleased God that you and I didn't have to be hurt and that Jesus put it upon himself for us. That's how much he loves you. The second part of the message is simply the idea of the oil of anointing. The oil of anointing. Jesus is in the place called Gethsemane, the oil press. I want to read this to you again. He was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, one of the ways that healing was brought to people was the idea of anointing them with oil. Oil was used as a medicine. Remember what I said about the pomice? It was used as a disinfectant was a healing agent. You could put it on skin that was rashed or ripped or cut, and it would bring healing. It would help to cleanse abrasions and to get rid of scars. It has all sorts of healing properties to it, but the very idea of healing was that you would take oil and you would apply it to a wound. What we have here is a word picture that Jesus, through his wounds, was pressed. Something came from him, We know his blood was spilt for our behalf. And yet the Bible compares it to the idea that by his wounds we're healed. When we apply what he did to our lives, it brings healing to us. So we use oil all through the Bible to represent the work of God in our lives. In the Old Testament, David anointed himself with oil. Ruth anointed herself with oil in preparation. Uh, Moses said, Everything in the temple has to be anointed with oil. We didn't just anoint people, we anointed everything. It represented a significance that this belongs to God, this is used for God's purposes, this this is set aside for the kingdom of God. We move into the New Testament, and that truth stays right in the Bible, only it becomes more magnified through Christ. The book of James says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, let them pray the prayer of faith, anointing the sick with oil. And they'll recover. Jesus said this when he talked about prayer and fasting. When you fast, anoint yourself with oil. Wash your face and tell everybody you're doing good so that your father will reward you. Anoint yourself. All through the Bible, we have the idea that this oil that comes from the olives being pressed is available to us to represent the Holy Spirit and healing and the work of Christ in our lives. And yet we move into modern times. And the only time I ever see people use it is to cook. Which is a good thing. Or occasionally when somebody's sick. Whatever happened to the idea that we should do what they did in the Bible? What if the reason we lack today some of the things they had in the Bible is because we don't do what they did? Some I mean, the Bible is full of people using anointing oil to claim things for God. Here's how it worked in my house. When we first got married, man, we were young. How we were young. I was 10, Chris was 25. (laughs) I love to tease. I was 20, she was 19. We were young. I was learning learning how to be a believer, learning how to love a wife. I lacked in so many areas. And I married a woman who was so far ahead of me and still is. Here's what my wife would do, unbeknownst to me. She would anoint me with oil while I was sleeping. (laughs) And she would claim me for God. She would pray over and over again. He does not belong to this world. The enemy can't have him. This is God's property right here. Now you might be saying, well, how crazy is that? Look. Here I am. We took that same idea and would go through our house anointing every door. Believing that our children, as they passed in and out of that door, the anointing would fall on them. We would anoint them while they sleep. Believe it or not, we anoint this church. Your chairs have been anointed. The doorposts have been anointed. We anoint everything in here because Moses said anoint everything in the temple for God's use. Everything in here is for God's use. We believe it's all for his purpose. Now you may say that, well, why should we do this? Because the Bible tells us to do it. What if we lack healing because we don't do what God says? What if the things in our lives that God wants to prosper and bless, we just simply haven't claimed for those purposes? What if God has things we've never even tapped into because we simply don't do the obedient issue that He calls us to? Maybe you should anoint your car. Maybe you should anoint your motorcycle. Anoint your dog. The Bible doesn't limit what we can. You think I'm being funny here? Here's what I learned chemically speaking, when you anoint something with oil, it's there forever. Did you know that? when you touch something with oil it bonds chemically with what you touch it with it's there forever, chemically maybe you should anoint yourself maybe you should anoint your business maybe you should anoint your relationship maybe you should anoint everything that you have because you want to set it aside for God's purpose in your life. Is that crazy? Maybe it is. How about this? If it is crazy, let's do the crazy thing for God rather than the cool thing for the world. How about that? Here's what we thought would be a interesting way to end this message. What if we anointed people? What if we put in your hands oil to anoint people? What if we're not just teaching to be teaching, but we actually wanted you to follow through on this, and this week, anoint whatever you want to anoint in your life. So we went out and bought oil. I personally crushed every olive to... (laughs) Get this for you at all of our campuses. So this is, this is, uh, is going to work diametrically right across all, all, all campuses right now. Um, here's what you'll, you'll do. Where we normally have communion, where someone serves you communion, there's gonna be a person there to anoint you with oil. Now listen to me, I'm gonna pray over you right now. You're not going to them for prayer, you're going to be anointed. So they're going to anoint you and they're gonna give you this oil. If you're like, maybe I just want the oil right now, then where we do self-serve communion at our crosses, you'll find these little vials of oil. There's enough for every person in here to take one. Every person in here can take one. I would encourage you this week to ask God what you should anoint in your life. Just ask him. And follow through on it. Do it, if nothing else, to humor your pastor because the Bible says to do it. even if it seems insignificant Jesus said faith as small as a mustard seed produces a huge return. Do it just to be obedient. But do it. So I'm gonna pray. Our worship teams will come forward. What we want you to do if you want to be anointed, then just move to those places. They'll anoint you and they'll hand you the vial. If you'd rather just grab the vial You can do that, but I'm gonna encourage you, allow yourself to be anointed with oil. To represent, God, I wanna identify personally with the very work of Christ in my life. I wanna take it on personally. If you go and you get the vial, are you saying, I don't want that? No. But if you have the opportunity to allow a blessing to enter your life, why would you say no? Why would you say no? so father we want to consecrate this time to you we believe fully that it belongs to you and God we don't wanna just do our own thing God. we don't wanna just go through the motions when it comes to people who just have things in our head and not in our heart we want it all the way in our heart we believe that the benefit of the work of Christ is available to those Who partake of it. God, we want to be partakers, partakers with you of the kingdom of God. So, Lord, I don't know if it's healing that people need. Don't know if it's answers in finances or relationships. If it's just taking the things that you've given us and giving them back to you, setting them aside to be used for your purposes, maybe our houses maybe our money, maybe our children. Maybe there's some things that we want to start that you would ask us to dedicate to you from the very beginning before they even get off the ground. So maybe you should anoint even your dreams, the paper you're writing it down on, anoint your journal. Give it to God. That's what you're doing. You're just identifying with the work of Christ. And most importantly, I ask God, Anoint us because we belong to you and we want to serve you and do your work and walk in your will. Let the kingdom of God come to our lives, especially, God, this week. As we look back and remember the work of Jesus, you want us to bring the past into the present. God, we're going to do that very thing. We're going to operate on what you tell us to do. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and stand to your feet. As our worship teams begin to play, I don't even want you to hesitate. If you want to be anointed with oil, and remember, they're not praying for you. They're just going to anoint you. Once you go ahead and go right there, they'll just anoint you and they'll give you the vial. If you just want to grab the oil, go to the cross and get it from there. When you're done with that, it's not the end of the service. Come back to your seat. Let's worship God a little bit and enjoy what he has for us right now.